You are listening to the Passion City Church podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio. This is the last of our collection of talks for the moment, Transformed Mind. And this message is coming under the title, The Mindset That Leads to Life. We said it uh, all throughout the collection, but I'll say it again today. You have the power to change your mind. There are a lot of things in life you cannot change. Amen? But there is something you can change. You can change your mind by renewing your mind to the truth. And I know the enemy's in the story already today saying, yeah, no, not that, because you've always been that way. That's been a part of your story for so long. You know, don't get your hopes up that that's gonna change. God is a God of the miraculous, and our story is a gospel of resurrection. So if he could bring Jesus from the dead, he can give you the power to change the way you think. And we know that if he changes the way that we think, then our lives will change as a result. There's no neutral ground. I just want to make sure we all know that today. There is no neutral ground when it comes to the direction our lives are moving in. There isn't chillax. I know, you know, that's kind of what you were thinking. What are your weekend plans? We're just going to chill at the house. But while you're chilling at the house, your mind is going to be on. And when your mind is on, it's moving in a direction. Your mind never rests. You're like, no, I do sometimes, Louie. You should see me. I just zone out, you know? Well, when you're zoned out, your brain is still operational. And it's moving you either in a direction towards you or it's moving you in a direction towards God. We'll say this in different language a little bit later in the talk, but your thoughts are either moving you toward what you think, what you want, how you want to decide, and what the way that you want things to be, your desire, or they're moving you, your thoughts, or to God, towards God. What does God think? What does God want? What is God's desire? What, what is God saying in this particular situation? But there is no neutral ground. So your thoughts are always moving you in a direction, and that direction ultimately is determining what you're going to be and do. And God is saying that you can be transformed. Remember, that's our baseline from the beginning, Romans 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. So don't be conformed, pressed into the mold of the way this world says you've got to think, but be transformed in a brand new way. We said the word is metamorphosis. It's like a butterfly. If you can picture your life changing right before your very eyes. How? By the renewing of your mind. This is what God is hoping for you. Transformed life. Not so you can say, yay, I'm a butterfly. Now I'm free to be me. No. So that you can be transformed like a butterfly to say, I am free from the world's way of thinking to be transformed into the kind of thinking that glorifies God. God isn't setting us free from one pattern so that we can go and create our own pattern. He's setting us free from the world's pattern so we can dial into his pattern. 
to his way of thinking for your life. You can see this in Romans 8, if you just back up a hair. There's another phrase where we see this word conformed. So don't be conformed to the world. But now we're going to see a verse that says we are to be conformed to something else. In fact, this is an amazing and powerful passage we're about to read because some of you have been wanting to know what God's will for your life is. Anybody been wanting to know what God's will and plan for your life is? No? No no one here? Everybody's clear? Okay, a few people. Okay, right here. Great. This is going to be amazing for you because this is it. You're about to find out God's will for your life. You're like, oh, this is going to be one of those preacher things where it's all, you know, kind of spiritualized at the end, and I really just need to know, am I supposed to take the job in Cleveland? If you've got a word, then bring it. And if not, don't give me any of that funny business. Listen to what God is saying in Romans 8. And we're going to dive into this whole text today. Verse 28 says, and we know that in all things God works. Now, if you just want to check out for the rest of the talk, that's a sermon right there. In all things God works. You're like, well, I don't see how he's working in that thing. I know. That's because we're not God. But in all things, God works. And not only does he work, he works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we're going to come back to that a little bit later. And here's the key verse. There's God's will for your life. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Now, don't jump out of the promise, okay? Because we just used two really big theological words in a short phrase. Just hang in there for a moment. Because it's really, honestly, very simple. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. There's our word. Conformed to what? To the likeness of his son. That he, his son, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. That's God's will for your life in two verses. What does it mean? It means that God knows things before things. So he foreknew your step of faith in Jesus. And knowing that, he predetermined about you when you made that step of faith in Jesus that he was going to work to conform you into the very likeness of the Jesus that you put your faith in. And when he foreknew that you were going to make that decision and predetermined at that time that he would shape you into the very likeness of Jesus, he called you come on into the plan. He justified you. There's a cross in your story where you're now set free. And then he glorified you. In other words, he's written you into the long arc of his story so that when he comes in glory, you're coming with him. God's will for your life is that you be made into the image of Jesus. God's will for your life is that you be made into the image of Jesus, that you look more like Jesus every single day. You're like, thank you so much for that, but um, we're really praying about whether we're supposed to move to Colorado Springs or not. Honey, he just said Colorado Springs. Ah, oh, that's amazing. Yes, this is a yes. We're, we're moving. How did he know that? I felt the Lord speaking that to me just now. 
Tommy, you're moving to Colorado Springs. Pack it up, bro. I, I don't know, Louie. I'm trying to decide which of the two grad schools I'm going to. Please don't give me that mumbo jumbo shaped into the likeness of Jesus, called, glorified, justified, predestined, foreknown. I'm trying to decide between two schools. And God is saying, what difference does it make? Are you going to be a light for Jesus? Because I don't care which school you go to. What I care about is, are you going to look like Jesus when you get there? You're like, what do you mean God doesn't care about what school I go to? Nobody ever told me that. Maybe he's telling you, pick the one you like best. Pick the one that offered you the most money. Pick the one where you know there's an opportunity to serve in that town. Pick the one that your parents told you to pick. But he's probably saying, you're so stressed about the A or the B, and I'm looking at the V. Because my will for your life is not that you figure out the right grad school. My will for your life is that you not look like the world, but that you look like the Savior. That's the plan. That you would be made conformed into the likeness of Jesus. You know what? I'm not the most brilliant person on earth, but what I got out of these two texts, Romans 12, 2, and this one in Romans 8 is that either way, we're getting conformed into something. Once again, there is no neutral in life. Your thoughts are either leading you towards God or towards self. And the result of those thoughts is either going to conform you to the world or conform you to the likeness of Christ. The two words, interestingly, tell us the whole story. Um, I, I know sometimes when we get down to the original language and talk about the Greek and the people just dial out and they're like, why is it important that we always talk about the Greek words and all the meaning? Because the Bible wasn't written in English. So when Paul was writing this letter, he was writing it in Greek. And so if you really want to understand what he's trying to get across to the people, you have to be able to peel back the layer to the language that he wrote it in. And so I wanted to do that. I, I'm looking at two words that both in English say conformed. And I said, okay, are these, is this the same word? So in Romans 12, 2, the word is suskematidzo. That's a great word. Suskematidzo, conform. But its meaning sounds like this. It is assuming a similar outward form by following the same pattern, model, or mold. In other words, it sounds like jello, right? Where it's going to be whatever shape of what you put it in. You want to make it look like a star? Great. Get a little star thing, pour the stuff in there, put it in the fridge, you got a star. You want it to look like a Christmas tree? Great. Get a little Christmas tree thing, pour it in there, stick it in the fridge, you're going to look like a Christmas tree. If you ain't got time, just get the baking dish out of the drawer, put it in the baking dish. It's going to be an inch thick and a square, and in a few minutes in the chill, that's what you're going to get. That's kind of what this word sounds like to me. But when we go over to Romans 8, conformed into the likeness of Jesus, 
We get a different word in Greek. We don't get suskamatidzo. We get somorphos, another word. Coming across in English, same, but when you go back to the Greek, two different words and two different meanings. Somorphos means that we're conformed or shaped by sharing, listen to this, the same inner essence or identity, showing similar behavior from having the same essential nature. So the conforming to the world is jello being poured into a mold. That's you just thinking you're in neutral while you're being poured into the mindset of the world, chilling in the freezer for a minute, and then that's what you are. But conformed to the likeness of Jesus is coming into a relationship with him whereby we now are united with Christ and we take on the very life of Christ by the Holy Spirit. So from within, with a brand new identity in Christ, we are changed from the inside out into the likeness of Jesus. The world's conforming us from the outside in, squeezing us into its mold while Christ is transforming us from the inside out and wanting to conform us, if you will, into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. And it all depends on where we set our mind. Romans chapter 8, verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set We heard this in the giving at 515, by the way, so we're all on the same page in the spirit over here. Have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. So that begs a question, doesn't it? Where is your mindset? Like in in a given moment, in a given day, kind of on the regular, where is your mindset? Is it set on the flesh? What do I want? What do I desire? What do I think? Uh, How can I be in control? Or is it set on the spirit? What does God want? What does God think? I, I want God to be in control. I want to know what God is saying about this moment. And it's Really important that we get it right because the stakes are high. The next verse says, in the translation I, uh, in my college years, was really dialed into the New American Standard Version of the Bible, which I'm in the NIV now, but I always remember this verse because, in fact, I looked it up and I was like, oh, my Bible says it a little bit different in verse 6, but I love the way New American Standard said it. It says, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So the stakes are high. If I choose a mindset that is me and the flesh, the result of that is going to be every single story terminates. Just not going to make it all the way to fulfilling whatever it is that is in my heart. But the mindset on the spirit is going to lead me to life. In other words, there are things going to percolate out of me that actually live and live on and have meaning now and forever. And it's peace, which is the thing that we're all looking for the most. So how does this work? It works by us getting God's 
narrative in every frame of our story. I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember reading a newspaper. <laughs> no. Yes. On the Sunday paper, did anybody get the Sunday paper, the big massive one? And what were you pumped about? The comics. Do they even exist anymore? Are they even with us any longer? I don't know. I didn't have time to go and check. But man, everybody had their favorite one. Does anybody even remember any of them? Beetle Bailey. Was that a thing? Any, anybody my age? Hello? No? Was that a thing? Snoopy? Charlie Brown? And there would be a few frames, right? And in those few frames, an entire story was told. Probably total dialogue, 40 words, max. Little bubble here, little bubble here, facial expression, circumstance change, it's raining now, and a couple of words here. And we loved it. What a great epic story. But I wanted to, you to see that today. If you know what a comic strip looks like, because I want you to see your life like that. I want you to see the frames that are going by. It's not just one big long life, right? It's these frames, these moments, these circumstances. And in every one of those frames, if you're going to have a new mindset that leads to life, you need a God narrative in every frame. In whatever the situation is going on in that window right now, you need God's narrative in that frame. And when you get it, you have to know it, believe it, repeat it, be shaped by it, and live it. In fact, there's a huge narrative in your frame right now if you're a Christian. According to these two verses we read about the God who knew you before, predetermined his plan for your life to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus, called you, justified you, glorified you. Just in that, there's an, a God narrative in your story right now. Do you know what it is? I am secure in a sovereign plan. You are not hanging in the wind. No, no, no. He knew you before, predetermined what he would make you to be, called you, justified you, glorified you. I am secure in a sovereign plan led by the Spirit to become like the Savior with whom I am united for all eternity. Put that in the frame. You say, well, I can see the frames, but I don't know how to get a God narrative. Well, let me give you a few. Number one, and we're not going to stand as these come along like we did last week, although that was very powerful. But we are going to stand at the end. So if one of these narratives drops down into your story very specifically, as we pray at the end here and at Cumberland, you'll have an opportunity just to stand and say, God spoke to me today, and I want to say amen. And I want to affirm and receive what God is saying into the frames of my story right now. Every story is different, and every story needs a different God narrative spoken into it. But there's a bunch of them in this text, one of the richest chapters in all of Scripture. The first narrative that somebody might need today is this. Condemnation is finished. 
somebody needs that in your frame today. You're living under the weight of the condemnation that the enemy is putting on your life. Meanwhile, you put your faith in the finished work of Jesus and were united with him in his death and in his resurrection. And because of that, condemnation no longer has a grip on you. You're like, well, where, where are you getting these, uh, these ideas? Right straight out of the Bible. Verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't you love that? Not for people who feel like they're not condemned. It has nothing to do with it. It's positional, not emotional. Like, well, I don't really feel like, you know, there's no condemnation because I feel condemned. Well, it's not based on your feelings. It's based on your position. And if you're in Christ, then he took all the condemnation that you deserved. So it went somewhere and it rested on him and he died under the weight of it and paid the penalty of it. So that in Christ now, there is no condemnation to you. And so do you know that? A, do you believe that? B, can you repeat that to yourself until you actually live in that and are shaped by that? So that narrative now is in your story. Yes, there's a, a train wreck in my story, but I also have God narrative in the story saying there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Doesn't mean there are no consequences. It just means there's no condemnation. And so what does that look like living it out? It means I'm not trying to condemn anybody else. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work on you because he's working on me too. And I'm definitely not looking to condemn somebody else because God didn't condemn me, but condemned his son instead. I've got my mind set on the spirit. And when I set my mind on the spirit, I get a new narrative in my story. The second narrative that you might need in your story is this. You are free from the flesh. Which if I just preach that, everybody here would say, eh. But you need to hear the rest of the sentence. You are free from the flesh to the degree that you are controlled by the Spirit. That's what the Scripture says. Just beginning in verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If, huge if, if the Spirit of God lives in you. So once again, there's no neutral. We are going to be controlled. And for those of us who want to say, no, not me, I'm my own person and I do my own thing. It's like, no, you do not. Your flesh, sinful as it is, will control you. It will tell you what to do and it will lead you to decisions and it will ultimately determine the pathway of your life, the well-being of your family, and your future destination. It will control you. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah. Or 
we can relinquish control and submit to the control of the Holy Spirit. But either way, you're going to be controlled. There is no neutral. There is no, I'm just riding my own boat over here and just doing my own thing. Thank you very much. Don't need the flesh. Don't need the spirit. It's just me. No, it's not just you. Your thoughts are either leading you toward you or leading you towards God. And your mind's either set on the flesh or set on the spirit. And the mind set on the flesh is going to control you. But it doesn't have to because resurrection power lives in you. That's what he says a few verses down, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who lives in you. So that's really what's at stake today is God wanting to transform you, to conform you to the likeness of Jesus. And the word likeness is icon in the Greek. In other words, that you would be an icon of Christ. You wouldn't be Christ, but you would be an iconic expression of him because you share the same essence because he lives in you by the spirit. And as you yield to the spirit, day in and day out in the flow and have that narrative in the story. I'm, I'm free from the power of the flesh, but only to the degree that I get under the control of the spirit. So I need to make that, that move right now. I need to make that move right now. I need to make that move again. I need to keep making that move. I need to keep making that move, changing that mindset, making that move, keep making that move. The third narrative is that your father is greater than your fear. Somebody needs that in your frame today. Verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Isn't it great when the, all the little nice slogans in the talk come straight out of the Bible? <laughs> but you received the spirit of sonship or daughtership. Really, the word is adoption into the family of God. You receive the spirit of adoption. And by the spirit, we cry. Our natural response now to God Almighty, Yahweh, is Abba. Another word from the language of the day, Father. And Abba is an intimate word. It, it's not quite daddy, I don't think, but it's on the way to daddy. It's not, yes, sir, dad. Yes, sir, father. It's intimate. Like now Yahweh and I are in a relationship. And so what does God do? He puts the juxtaposition of fear up against father. Because you have a father and you've been adopted in this new spirit. Therefore, you don't have a spirit on your life of fear. And when I am living and operating in fear, it just lets me know I put my mindset on the flesh. What, what did I do? I, I, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. Instead of going, oh, I got to put my mindset on the spirit. I have a father and he runs the universe and he's got it. And he's got me. It's like, I, I don't know. Anybody's kids ever wake you up in the middle of the night, dad? And, you know, there's something in the closet. And every good dad said, your mom will come check it out. 
honey, can you go see what's in the closet? But what does a dad do? A dad doesn't go, now, now, child, son, daughter, we know that your clothes are in the closet. We looked in there two nights ago, remember? No, the dad gets up, goes in the room, says, dad's not afraid of what's in the closet. Dad's coming to the closet. <laughs> Doors open. Dad's in the closet now. Hello, closet people. Dad's in here. Closet's fine. Dad's good. We're all good here. No, I heard something on the roof. And the dad, a good dad, opens the dormer window, puts steps out onto the garage roof. Nope, see, I'm out here on the roof. Dad ain't afraid of the roof. What, what is the dad doing? The dad is getting in the space where the child has the fear so that the child can see that the dad is still good. And that narrative needs to be in someone's story today. The answer to your fear maybe isn't that you get more faith. The answer to your fear is that you realize that you have a father. These are going to come by a little quicker. Number four, you are in God's will, in quotes. Not in his will like conformed to the likeness, the icon of Jesus, but you're in his will to the degree that it says in verse 17 that now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. In other words, I don't know what you're getting from Papa, Aunt Janet. But I do know you've been written into the will of Almighty God. The will. Not the will, but the will. At the end of your story, you're a quadrillionaire. And right now, you're a co-heir with Christ. What Christ has got, you've got. Somebody needs that in your narrative right now. The fifth one is our present sufferings will be swallowed up by future glory. There's nothing about God's plan in this text that says we're not going to have suffering in our life. In fact, it's very much the opposite in this text. But in the frame of the pain is a God story. And the God story is, this is terrible. But it pales in comparison to the future glory that's coming in your story. Hold on, hold on. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Number six, 
God will work it out. That's the verse we started with, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works. Let's just say that. And we know that in all things, God works. Cumberland, come with us. And we know that in all things, God works. And he works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. I'm telling you, this is not a little simple spiritual sloganette for people who are in devastating times. In fact, if you step into someone's devastating moment, please don't bring this verse with you. Please don't show up when someone has tragically lost a loved one and say, oh, well, you know, the Bible says that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Just hold on to that for a minute and just weep and just grieve and just be and trust and hope that in a few days time or when the sun rises again, that there will be a moment for you and your friend or family member to stand on this and to have a God narrative inside that frame of life, that tragic, can't be undone frame of life that says, I don't know how and I don't know when and I don't know where, but I do know God works in all things God works. And if it's not worked out, God's not finished yet. Because when God gets finished, it'll all be worked out. And I know for our story, you know, most of those frames, they're not going to get worked out on this side of heaven. But they're going to get worked out. And there's going to be a moment where I say, thank you, God, that you were working in that. Man, oh man, where would I be if you were not working in that? Only you could do that with a broken world like our world. Only you could do that. Praise God. You will work it out. And then lastly, this chapter ends with just the most powerful benediction. And it it, it injects into our frame. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Do you believe that today? What then, verse 31, shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, surely there can be somebody against us, but who are they? So I'm not going to bow up on them, flex on them, vilify them, fight against them, get preoccupied with them, make my entire existence about eradicating them have every conversation dominated by the story of them. No, I'm like, yep, they're against me for sure. But hello, let me tell you about who's for me. God Almighty is on my side. God Almighty is in my camp. God Almighty is my defender. And if my God is for me, then who is going to be against me? Somebody needs that God narrative in your frame today. God's still for me. Like, Louie, it doesn't look like God's for me. It looks like they're winning. Let God conform you from the inside out. Let him use it. Let him use them. Make joy out of them. You were against me, but God was forming me. You were trying to knock me out, but God was trying to build me up. 
You put me in the heat and God used the heat to mold me more into the iconic representation of his son. He got some of the rough edges off of me in that furnace. So thank you for being against me because God used it because he was for me. Because his will for me is to be more like Jesus. And it took somebody like you being against me to make me more like the one who gave his life for me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you, God. That wasn't even the message, but hello. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with Jesus graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, verse 37, in all these things, and there are going to be all these things, we are barely going to eke it out. No, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Love is the operational power between God and those he's molding into the image of Jesus. For listen to Paul's words, I am convinced. In other words, I got a mindset, people. I've got a mindset. I need you to know my mind is set. I am convinced. I heard it. I believed it. I repeated it. I got shaped by it and I'm living it. My mind is set. I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Somebody needs that in your frame today. Somebody needs a God narrative in your frame today. It ain't good, but it can't separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And it can't stop his purpose because you are secure in a sovereign plan led by the spirit to become like the savior with whom you have been united for all eternity. Set your mind on the things of God. Get a narrative from God in your frame and believe it. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, 
Thank you for listening to the Passion City Church podcast.